morning, everyone. It is great to see all of you here in the room and to those who are dialing in and logging on. My name is Latanya for our first time special guest and I am a member here of the village and delighted to be here to share with you for a few moments today. And I pray that the Lord will speak to you in tangible and intangible and everlasting ways. We are so glad that you're here with us and happy Father's Day to the fathers, father figures, and all those folks that have, that's right, positive influences in the lives of people. So we are continuing our series, Retro Healing, where we're taking a look at stories of healing from the Old Testament. I personally love words, and this word retro simply means from the past. And yes, we're looking at stories from the Old Testament, but there are some retro healings in our own lives, right? God has done some things in our past that has had a ripple effect to today. So today, we're going to look at God's restorative power as we visit a portion of scripture about the prophet Elisha and lift some principles from these verses and how I pray they will put power into us, meaning empower us to continue our faith walk with renewed strength and vigor, especially if some of you may be weary in your journeys today. So with that thought and in, in mind, our topic today is ready to restore, ready to restore. So we're gonna pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, there's someone listening. There's someone here in the room, Father, that needs to hear a word from you. There's someone who might be at the end of their rope, at the end of their lane, at the end of what they think their strength is. And Father, we need a word from you today. And because of that, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations in my heart, Lord Jesus, you will purify, sanctify, and let every word be dispatched to the places where they're needed the most. Thank you so much, God, for this time together. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So ready means completely prepared and willing. And restore means to give back everything that was taken away or lost. So putting all this together, in other words, God is preparing to bring us back to wholeness, to spiritual health, and to a revitalized, consecrated walk with him. God is ready, everybody. He's ready to restore us. He's ready to bring you back. He's ready to rejuvenate you. He's ready to revitalize you. And he's prepared to bring everything back to you that you might have thought that you lost. So we're going to take a look at the book. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, coming from the NIV version, it is this. Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once in a while, some, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now that's some God's power in those bones, right? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Elisha. Elisha was more than a preacher. He was more than a teacher. He was a prophet. He was someone who marched loud with a prophetic voice and announcements of what God was going to do. He was, in essence, a protector of Israel, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. 
God used Elisha multiple times to save Israel. And in fact, his name means deliverer, which is a foretelling of things to come. But now Elisha is dead, everybody. And there's no deliverer waiting in the wings. And things seem to be getting worse for Israel. Their deliverer is gone. They're unprotected. And they're about to be taken into exile. And this really pains God. I'm, I'm taking us on a journey. I'm building the world so we can get to the point of what we really want to say today. But this is a sign of what happened in these verses, that even in their darkest days, there is hope. Even if some of us might be in days that might be feeling a little bit dark, if not dark, maybe you see a few clouds on the horizon. If not a few clouds on the horizon, it might be a little bit of precipitation in your life. It's not all sunny skies. So I want to tell you that there is hope because God is ready to restore you. He's, he's completely prepared and willing to bring you back from the brink. So that's some good news this morning. So this is a sign that there is hope. But it wasn't the bones themselves that was the power. It was God's power at work. So we not think it's in ourselves. God is at work to do those things and to do the miraculous. Let's think about this. There's nothing necessarily weaker than dead bones, right? They start to brittle and they crumble. Sometimes even alive, I know, uh, you know, I'm getting up there in age and sometimes my bones ache a little bit. So sometimes bones can feel a little bit weak, but God can use the weak things to confound the wise. Let's go back to the book. First Corinthians 1:27 says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. What does that all mean? It sounds really good, but you know, some of us might say, well, you know what? People might have thought we were weak. People might have thought we had limitations. People might have thought we might not be able to do some of the things that we're doing, but God can use that very thing to be your message, to be the thing that brings hope and healing and restoration to many others. So in this verse in 1 Corinthians, he's not talking about dead bones there, but it's the principle that God can use something that looks very weak to do something powerful. God even used Jesus' broken body, and there's nothing weaker than that to bring about the powerful salvation story that we are all, many of us, enjoying today. So it is not our strength. It is not our power. We're powerless. We're weak. We're frail. We're limited. But in God, we have strength. In God, we have power. It is his spirit that empowers us to live, to move, to do the things that he is calling us to do. I know we thought we got up on our own this morning, but it wasn't for God breathing the breath of life into us one more day. We wouldn't be here today. So we want to just raise a hallelujah for the breath of life today. <laughs> we can't take anything for granted because God is in the little things. God is in the little things. So as he lay dying, Elisha prophesied victory over Israel because the Syrians were going to be invading soon. And then after his death, Israel will be facing an invasion. And God confirmed the truth of this prophecy and the, the truth of this eventuality in their lives through this example that you might be taken into captivity, but there will be liberation for you. 
There will be healing for you. There will be restoration for you. There will be resurrection for you. So let's talk a little bit about this whole idea of resurrection because that is what God wants to do in us. He wants to resurrect us, our energy, our strength, our zeal. Sometimes we take even our relationship with God for granted. It's just the thing we live in every day, but we don't realize how powerful, how vibrant, how mighty it actually is because we're not paying attention to the story, to the trail of God through our lives. We're living our lives, but we're not paying attention to the life that we're living. The days go by and we don't remember what we did. The, the years go by and we don't remember that God has already been faithful to us, that God has already triumphed gloriously in our lives, that God has already done something for us. So we're looking and we're grasping for God. Where are you? But he's already been there for us and he is with us. And all we have to do is lean on our own story to say, if he did it for me before, he'll do it for me again. So we have to live our lives in observing them and observing it. So let's talk about this whole resurrection motif using the prophets Elijah and Elisha. I remember that because J comes before S in the alphabet. So that's how I know which prophet came first. So just a mnemonic trick if anybody else struggles like I do saying, which one came first? So let's look at Elijah and Elisha for a little bit. This whole idea of the resurrection motif with Elijah and Elisha they're associated with both. So when you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, 17 to 24, that's when Elijah resurrected a woman's son who had died. And last week, for those who weren't here, you can play that video. We talked about the Shunammite woman who Elisha, in that story, resurrected a woman's son. So when his time on earth was over, Elijah was taken to heaven Elisha's body, dead body remained, but it gave life to another man. Prophets in the Old Testament are defined by their words. They're voicing God's words of, by doing what Yahweh had required of them, living out a divine life under Yahweh's, God's instruction, even under tremendous adversity. And some of us may be living that today. It might be retro, but it's now true for us, isn't it, Right? That's another Tanyaism, everybody. Feel free to use it. So they had resurrected. They're following God's words. Elisha's infusion with the divine life that he was living empowered him to do not only what he did in life, but even in death to have his bones heal somebody. So from 1 Kings chapter 17 all the way to 2 Kings 13, Elijah and Elisha physically declared the thoughts of God to people whom they were sent. Wow. When we think of that, are we declaring words to the people that we're sent to? Sometimes we think our ministry is out there somewhere, but what about in our very homes? Ministry begins there in our spheres of influence, in our families, in the work that we do day to day, our ministry is there. So Old Testament prophets spoke and trekked and challenged and otherwise embodied all of this obedience to the everlasting deliverer who was ultimately found in the person of Jesus Christ. So what, right? Latanya, fantastic. 
You told us about some old dead prophet whose bones resurrected and everything. So what does that have to do with me as we sit in here in the year of our Lord, 2023? Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to give you an answer. You might be saying to yourself, uh-huh, that sounds great, but what about me? Somebody needs to hear these three things that lets you know God is ready to do for you if you let him. So we took you through all of those ways, all of those verses, that story of Elisha, that story of Elijah, just to say that God is ready to restore you and he's ready to do it in three ways. If you let him. Sometimes we're passive in our relationship with God, everyone. We want God to lay a victory on us. You know, we want him to do all the work for us without our involvement, but that is not so. Even faith, though it is a free gift, salvation is a free gift. We had to do something, V-E-R-B. We had to do something. We had to believe. So nothing is passive in our relationship with God. So if he's, he's ready and willing and prepared, but we have to do our part no, he doesn't need our help, but we need to be actively involved in our own deliverance, in our own freedom, in our own liberation. And sometimes we stay stuck because the effort feels so hard. It feels like it's going to take so long. But here's a secret, everybody. You want to hear a secret? Yeah, secret. <laughs> the time is going to pass anyway. So you may as well put it to the best possible use. I'm sorry it might not have been the secret you wanted to hear, but that's the truth. We say, it's going to take too long, and then you don't do anything, and then five years pass. You're like, it's going to take five years. You do nothing, and five years later, you could have did something during that five years. It's going to pass, so we may as well do it anyway. So God wants to restore you, but we have to be actively involved. So here's way number one, that God is ready, fully prepared, and willing to restore you. Number one, he wants to heal you from bruises and shame over trauma from your past. Remember, we're talking about retro today. He wants to heal you from bruises and shame over trauma from your past. And shame is a painful feeling of humiliation and distress. God wants to heal you from that. Some families live in shame. Some individuals live in shame. Some organizations and companies and even, dare I say, churches live in shame. And God wants to heal us from that. He's ready to restore us. Individual trauma, let's talk about trauma for a quick moment. Trauma results from an event or series of events or sets of circumstances experienced by a person in their past that has lasting adverse effects on their functioning, on their mental well-being, their social, emotional, and spiritual well-being, in essence, their whole person. It happened in the past, but they have lasting effects and it infects and affects our entire life. And sometimes what we do is I like to say, we use Christianese and spirit speak. You know, we use the words that's acceptable to say in church, you know. With, you know the words, the platitudes that we say that everyone nods and but beneath the surface, we're crying inside. Beneath the surface, we're a wreck. We're a pile of dust in a mound, but we're blessed by the best. And yes, we are. And God is good all the time and all the time. See we, see, we know it, right? We say all this stuff, but inside we're screaming at the top of our lungs. God is ready to restore you. 
He's ready to bring you back. He's ready to heal you from the trauma and the bruises of your past. But we have to be actively involved in it. God is ready, everybody. But remind yourself that you can be honest. If many of you are like me, if anyone's like me, I've had trauma, I've had shame, bruises in the, in the spirit in the past, all of those things, but God is ready to heal. But I didn't just sit there in it, but I did acknowledge, yes, this happened to me. This was a part of my life. It does not minimize or diminish me, but it makes me the person who I become today because I've allowed it to inform me not to leave me stuck. It wasn't easy. It's not easy to come out of darkness into the light, is it? It's not easy to come out of bondage into freedom. It's not easy to take those steps that when you were in chain and now when the chains are free, you have to say, wait a minute, I'm not chained up anymore. I gotta feel what this feels like and looks like not to be bound anymore. We have to take those steps, but God is ready to restore. He makes a promise to us. And this is what he promises in Joel chapter two, verses 25 and six. He says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Has God dealt wondrously with anybody in the room today? My people shall not be put to shame. What is this saying to us? This is an agricultural example. And in the book of Joel, during that time, he's talking about an infestation of locusts that ruined a crop. And what it's talking about, this, this crop in the earlier chapters of Joel, this crop was ruined. And what the implication is, it was one invasion that had a multi-year impact. It not only ruined the, the seeds and the harvest from the previous year, but it damaged the harvest of the current year and the seeds that would be used in the next year. How many of us have had words maybe carelessly spoken to us and then the harvest of the next year was impacted because of those carelessly spoken words. How many of us have carelessly spoken words and it might have had a multi-year impact? Some of you in the room might be 50, 60, 70, maybe some of you watching are 95 years old and still remember what was said to you in 1971. Careless words that were spoken, the harvest. But God is saying, I'm going to restore to you the years that those words have taken from you. I'm going to restore to you all the things that have been taken away from you because you might have been collateral damage. God is ready to restore us. And I love that he say, you will not be put to shame. God will not do that to us. The second way he wants to restore us is to heal us from the terrible twins of jealousy and envy. He wants to restore us and heal us from the terrible twins, jealousy and envy, because sometimes in our pained state and in our trauma and living through all of those things, in this age of social media, we might stalk other people's social media pages. And, and, and then we look at them and we romanticize their lives because we project our pain onto their seeming prosperity. Let me explain. They're smiling in pictures and then we use language like, look, everybody is happier than me. 
because we're looking at a few pictures. Everybody's not, everybody is mentally stable and I'm having mental health challenges. Everybody's marriage is happier than mine because we see the couple smiling, you know. You know the right angle, you suck it in, you tuck it in, you roll it up, you just, you, you, you put your head back, you put it up so you, you know the 12 chins look like one and then you do the shading. You know how we do, we fictionalize our lives, just say, hey, everybody look at us not knowing there were 75 pictures before the one we posted. Yeah, 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 right? And then others are looking and saying, look at how happy she is. My life sucks. <laughs> we do it. And then we fall into a deeper downward spiral. Look at her collarbone. She lost weight. I feel fat and ugly. Give me another slice of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so we do this, right? We do this because we think that everybody is happier and better off than we are. God wants to heal us from that. Because this whole envy thing is this feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by the possessions or qualities that other people have. And then we, we know we're triggered when we hear and we start to think those words in our minds using those, I like to call it absolute and universal language. Everybody is happier than me. Everybody's marriage is better than mine. And my, my spouse and I, we're still, we're like two ships passing in the night. We can't seem to get it together today. We just wanted to sit down for dinner and praying over dinner became an argument. And now everyone's storming off and there's food all over the table and we're walking away. Everybody's happy. But five minutes ago, y'all posted that picture. Couple goals, hashtag. And then somebody else is looking at you saying, oh my gosh, oh, look at how happy they are when you cropped out the picture with all the food on the floor, right? God wants to free us, everybody. It's not a good place for us to be. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal us. And when you start hearing yourself in your mind, friends, using that absolute and universal language, you have to talk to yourself and tell yourself not today and feed yourself other words. You might have to take a fast from social media for a while if you find that that is something that's sapping your energy, your joy, and your peace. Jealousy and envy will harm us. Solomon 8, 6 says this, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the flame. Its flames are a flame of fire, a most vehement fire. Proverbs 14.30 says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones, everybody. One of my friends here, this quote has stuck with me over the years. She said, bitterness is the only substance that eats its own container. And when we focus on jealousy and envy, we're stalking other people. We're looking at other people's lives. We're looking at how happy we think other people are. And we're saying, look, everybody's better than me. Then bitterness can take root. But the Bible is telling us a sound heart, peace and contentment gives you life. But this discontentment will rot you inside. God wants to restore us today, everybody. The third way he want, is ready to restore us. Is he wants to cancel the pity party and schedule the power party, everybody. Self-pity is excessive unhappiness over one's own troubles. Now, I'm not telling you not to live, experience your troubles. Because if I'm not feeling so well, I'm not going to act like I'm not. I might not do it publicly, but I'm going to be sure enough honest to myself and say, this does not feel good right now. I'm unhappy. I'm frustrated. 
But no one is denying that we have troubles, but when we wallow in it and we sit there and it steals our peace of mind. Now, you might have some intentional binge watching of Netflix on the couch laid up in a blanket. Take some time. But after a while, instead of saying, I'm going to click the next episode, nope, say, nope, I only watch three. I'm not going to watch four. I got to get up and do something. Give yourself time to take in what you're experiencing, but then you got to get up and live. Because God came that we might have life and then have it, meaning life, to the full. That was, that was his vision statement. He came to set the captives free. He came to release us from the prisons physically and emotionally and spiritually. He wants to cancel the pity party and schedule the power party. He wants to come into the spaces and places of our minds and renew it so that we can experience his comfort. Psalm 94, 19 in the New King James says, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. God is ready to restore. Are you ready to receive it? There are three ways now, friends, that we can receive his gift, and the praise and worship team will begin to come up as we begin to move into these last moments. Three ways you can receive this gift of his restoration because he's ready to do it for you, and he's ready to do it for me. The first is you got to know his voice for yourself. You have to know his voice for yourselves, friends. John chapter 10, the gospel according to John chapter 10, verses 2 to 4 says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. For, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. We cannot rely on anybody else. You can't rely on what we say up here every Sunday, because we might have bumped our head coming in, and then we, we're talking craziness, Right? And you don't know, because you're like, well, that's the pastor up there. No, you got to know him for yourself. You got to read the scripture for yourself. You have to know how to pray so you know his voice. So when you sense change in your life, you're paying attention to how God operates in you. And then you can start to detect his activity, detect his movement. You can't rely on what I say or someone else says because they're not living your exact life. You got to know it for yourself. Number two, you got to believe what he says. God makes a promise to you today. Isaiah 61, 3 to 4 says, He makes a promise to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double and everlasting joy shall be theirs. What is this saying? All the things that may have been taken away from you, God wants to console you if you're in mourning in some area of your life. He wants to rebuild those old ruins, the things that might have been torn down in your life because of things that happened to you, things you might have done, the shame and the regret that you live with every single day that you keep replaying in the recesses of your mind and the quiet of your own heart. You keep saying, if you'd have just done, if you'd have just did, how could you? Like, stop, 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 because God wants to restore you today. He wants to silence the voices that will steal and kill and destroy your joy because that's what the enemy of our souls is doing. 
He wants to give you double honor. He wants you to rejoice in your portion, meaning look at your own life and look at what has taken place in your own life. Pay attention to your own life. And the third way you can receive his gift is to surrender. Surrender means to stop resisting, to give up control of possessions. Sometimes we wanna keep it, we want things in our own terms, but if we just surrender, live our lives day to day, doing what we have to do, but surrendering the day. God, I haven't seen the day, but you have. Touch my mouth because you only know the conversations I'm gonna have. Touch my mind because you already know the things I'm gonna have to think about, the creative strategies I might have to come up with, the people who I may have to talk to. I don't know, God, I'm surrendering the day to you because you've walked this path I haven't and I'm walking with you, so be with me today. Surrender your past traumas and shame and all your envy and jealousy and stop your stalkerish ways stuff and be liberated, everybody. Pay attention to your territory, what God has given you. In other words, mind your business. Because if you really pay attention, that, that'll take up so much more of your time. You won't have any time to worry about what's happening up the street because you've got more wisdom to gain. You've got more strength to endure. You've got, you've got more um, insight to get in your territory. And that's a lot because you've got good stuff in your territory. Don't let the enemy and don't you tell yourself that you don't. How does this happen? How can we surrender? First Peter 5, 7 says this, to cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Everybody, that's the bottom line. God cares for you, insert name here. God cares for, put whatever your, God cares for you. Your level of surrender is in direct proportion to the level of trust. It is in direct proportion to the level of trust that you have in the one that you're surrendering to. So how much you surrender to God is directly proportional to how much trust you have in him. Pay attention to what he's already done in your lives. Pay attention to what he's done because friends, God is ready to restore you. Hey, thanks so much for watching this video. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you got a lot out of it. If you feel like you need to respond, you can visit fairviewvillagechurch.com prayer and you can fill out the forms there and let us know how we can be praying for you. Or you can scan the QR code below and that'll take you everywhere you need to go for next steps. Thanks so much for joining. We hope you have a great week and looking forward to connecting with you.